listener production. You are listening to episode 148 of the Howie Games Part B featuring the closer, Liam Hendricks. Batter up. So how do you go? You, you talked earlier on about the sort of three areas. You're a 90 man, you're a 95 mile an hour man or you're a 100 mile an hour man. How did you jump bands to all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but go from that 90 to 95 to up towards 100? Is that is that practice? Is that strength? Is that experience? How do you all of a sudden start chucking harder? I just figured, so most of the time when you go from a starting rotation to the bullpen, yep. your, your velocity increases because you're not worrying about maintaining for seven innings. You're already okay. about going out there for a smaller period. Uh, also, when that transpired, I was also throwing with a throwing partner who liked to long toss. And long toss means he's going from the line to the center field wall, which is probably at 300 feet, so kind of like uh, probably about a, like 80 yards yep. every day. And so we do that every day. And so when we're going 80 to 100 yards every day, you build up arm strength and that trans, that just progressed into me throwing harder and everything like that. So it was just one of those things that it, I, it was a happy, happy coincidence that I started doing that at the right time. Cause I'd always done that as a kid. Like I'd like, I like yep. to long toss. I like to throw more. And I just happened to get a throwing partner who liked doing the same thing. And we did it together and he was throwing hard that year. I was starting to throw harder as well. And that's what, uh, that helped a lot for sure. Another baseball-specific question. When you're a starter, and we'll get to the specifics of your role now at Chicago so people understand because I need to ask you about the bullpen, but when you're out there and you've pitched your five innings and you're starting to get hit and you see <laughs> you see the manager come out and you see the poor pitcher going, oh, no, and he's coming out towards you, what is that conversation? Is it a, is it a debate? Is it? Do you think you've got any more gas in the tank or is it, right, Liam, you're done, mate, hit the showers? It all depends on the manager and who's also pitching. Generally, if it's a younger guy pitching, it's thanks for thanks for doing what you did today. Go hit the showers, and then we'll we'll turn it over to the guys who are fresh and ready to go now. If it's an older guy, the manager will come out, and there'll be there may be a conversation, there may be a back and forth in that way. But uh, generally, when the manager comes out, he's coming out for one reason: that's to take the guy out to make sure that it's it could be a big situation, it could be a guy who's hit him relatively well over that day or in the past. Uh-huh. So you're bringing in a guy for a matchup. And so it's like bringing in, if a guy's really good at pace bowlers, you're bringing in a spin bowl. It's like yeah, bringing gotcha. in those sorts of things. Like, And it could be just you're taking out a right-handed pitcher for another right-handed pitcher who just has a different pitch that that guy can't hit. So now tell me about the, the mental side of uh, being a top-flight pitcher. So, so you're... So your job now, like, like they call you a, a closer, yeah. So just explain what your role is now. Like people will be saying, "Oh, what, what's the, what's the what's the pen?" So you're off to the side at any particular time. The the starting pitcher, which you used to be but are no longer, he gets taken out of the game. What what is your role? So the the, the role of the closer is to finish the game. Yes. So their their entire role. It's now morphed into the last three outs. So you, I've got. So last year I predominantly had the ninth inning. And that just meant that I get the last three outs of the game. If I do my job, we win. And if I don't do my job, we may have to play an extra inning. We may have to keep going. But if I do my job, we win. And that's what it comes down to. 2-2. He strikes out swinging. 0-2. Robert strikes out swinging. Foul tip into the mid. And Liam Hendricks just overpowered the rookie. Here's his 2-2. Mazzara takes strike three called. 
They dug deep today, and Jess, they got a win that they had to have. And so it's it's not till the ninth. So there's nine innings in baseball. You sit there for eight innings, no matter what happens, uh, and then on the scoreboard, bang, ninth innings, out you come, and you've just got to pitch. You got to get out yep. three batters, basically. If we if we're winning, uh, so the way it works is a closer is generally brought in. So the, the the term save is what it's called if it's the ninth inning and you're up by three runs or less because it's technically high leverage. It's a close game. That's when I go out there, and last year specifically, that's when I went out there, and that's my job is to get three outs, and I was able to do that 38 times last year. Uh, out of how is, many attempts would that be, ish? Uh, I think I, I think I blew six ish, okay. so I think it was like 44 ish. Um, right. But yeah, so that was uh, so I didn't do well in a few of them, did well in some of them, but my 38 saves, I led the American League. Uh, was one off the. Tie, one off the tie yeah. for the, the Major League Baseball um, high last year. But, uh, yeah, so I went out there and I, I was able to do that. But um, there was times where I was going out there, if, if it wasn't a safe situation, I just needed work in. Or if we we're up by four runs, it didn't count as a save, but I was out there anyway. It was, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, baseball's a very statistically wayward sport where there's certain things that they just, for whatever reason, three runs is what it is. It's not like if it's a closer thing, it's it's just for whatever reason, three runs. It's like one one run per out, I guess. I, I have no idea how they got to that uh, that trademark or anything like that. Yep. But it's uh, there's a lot of statistics that when you really look into it, a lot of them are just very abnormal numbers from your normal ones where it's like, okay, five, 10, whatever. And there's so many. I think it's the imperial system messing yeah, around. There's so many numbers. Okay, so... Um... You're playing. Let's get you to uh, Chicago. We'll get to how you get there and what they're going to pay you in a moment. <laughs> but let, let's let's move on a bit. You move um, to Chicago. You're going up and down. You get to Chicago. So your current. Let, let's say your your last season. You had a wonderful year, mate, and massive congratulations. You, you're in the bullpen as the game is getting to the point where you're going to be required. What are you doing physically? And I would have thought. Like it's a, the way you've described it. It is a massive pressure situation. You're coming in, the team set up the win, and then you have to deliver it. So physically and mentally, what are you doing in the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth innings? So luckily now I've been around for a while, so I get a chance to uh, for the first. I don't come. I don't even walk out to the bullpen now until the fourth inning. What? So you're just sitting in the change rooms? Yep. So I'll sit. I'll the, now when the game starts is when I usually get into the hot tub, and so I'll go hot tub, cold tub, and just kind of. Hang out in that for a little bit. I'll shower. I'll start getting dressed. I'll go make a coffee, have some Oreos. as my daily routine, like every single day when we're at home. Oreos. And then I'll walk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my coffee and Oreos. I, I, I take my vitamins and stuff like that at that point. I walk out to the bullpen right around the fourth, middle of the fourth inning. And I'm wandering out there. And then the fifth inning, I sit down there. I just, and my job is like, I pretty much just sit there. I'll get the iPad out and it'll have like the game notes of like uh, the, the media notes and it's pretty much like fun facts and stuff like that. So I'll go through that. And then if it's the first game I'm playing as a team, I'll look at what I've done against them. And so I'm sitting on their iPad and I can go through each individual player, the the particular times I've seen them and faced them in the, in an actual game. Yeah. So I'm looking at all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, about the, yeah, that usually lasts a couple innings, uh, seventh inning. I usually stop drinking the coffee, go down and get a bottle of water. And then, Seventh, eighth inning is when I, st- I do my like little meditation stuff where I'll just, I'll stand on the mount, the bullpen mount. I'll just stand there and just start breathing in and just breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Walk the distance between the pitcher's mount and the home plate and, and the bullpen. Walk that distance, 
do the same thing down there and then walk back and it just ha- that helps settle my mind a lot. It's uh, you, you just remove it and everything because as soon as you get down to the plate, you realize how close you actually are and how much respect that I don't need to give the hitter. <laughs> right. If it makes any sense, but it's like you, you go, I do that. That's my daily routine. I do that. And then I'll do a couple little stretches here and there. And if the phone rings, the phone rings. And if the phone rings for me, it, it is what it is. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I just, uh, I've removed all like expectations of what's going to happen. And it's, uh, I think that's really one of the things that's helped me do what I need. Like what I've been able to do the last few years is I'm not expecting to be out there every day. I'm not expecting to do this. I'll be ready whenever the phone rings. And that's my entire goal. Just do everything I need to do to be ready if the phone rings. So there's literally a phone down there. Oh yeah, they they the, the dugout will call and be like, "Hey, we want so and so going." Or, "Hey, we want Liam going. Uh, be ready for this hitter. If it gets to him, he's in." Okay, so then you walk out there in the pressure. You know, it's within the the three runs. You've got to go and get the job done. You, you walk up to the mound. What happens at that point? So generally, if it's the start of an inning, so if I'm running out there at the start of the inning, I'll run out there. The catcher will meet me at the mound to go over what our sign sequence is going to be that day. Whether it be because like if if a runner gets on second base, you can't just use one sign because they can see it and then they can relay it to the hitter so they know what's coming. Okay. So if there's a runner at second base, that's when you see like the two, three, one, like the multiple signs. Yep. And that's what they do. That's what that's the entire thing. It's to make sure that the guy at second base can't see what you're throwing. Okay. So we'll talk about what we're going to do. It's never. It's not really about the way I'm going to approach a hitter because I approach guys pretty similarly depending on no matter who they are. But um, it's that, and then I'll do the, my exact same warm. So I've warmed up in the bullpen, but then you run out to the mound and you do your warm-up pitches on the mound just to make – for me, it's um, – I do the same warm-up pitches every time. It's fastball, fastball, change-up, change-up oh, – sorry, fastball, fastball, change-up, curveball, slider, fastball, fastball, and he throws it to second base to get his arm ready. I do the exact same thing every single time. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the way I'm running out there. It's making sure that the mound is, like, if there's a different hole on the mound, because certain guys will dig in certain areas. So there's a sometimes there's a bigger hole on the left side, sometimes there's a bigger hole on the right side, sometimes there's a hole in the middle, and sometimes there's no hole at all because they just whoever pitched that day hasn't been dragging their foot as much. And what does it feel like when you're there sp- for a specific reason and you – Tell me if I got the expression wrong. You close the game out. You win the game for your team. Like there's so many games. Uh, h- how do you feel at that moment when you throw that final strike? Three and two. Got him. See you later. Big win for the Sox, who are still alive for the two seed. Liam just reared back and said, here it is, pal. I've fallen behind. I'm going to throw two down the middle and see what you can do with them. Well, could do nothing. So, for, like, it was, it's been an interesting, like, over the course of my career, I've gone through this myriad of emotions, but currently, like, the way I'm going now is I pitch every single game like it's a huge game because that's the way I have to do it. I have to rile myself up for every single moment. So I could be winning, we could be three, three runs up, I come into the game and I get the last out and I'm screaming and fist bumping because this is the who I am now. That's the way, that's the persona I've got. That's the way I need to go about doing things. That's what gets me mentally and physically prepared to go out there is getting that emotion. So there'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of videos of me screaming, fist yeah. bumping, and then I go karate chopping the catcher. And that's just, uh, the one thing I do every day. Um, that's, yeah. So it's uh, everything I do is pretty much the exact same 
on the field every single day. It doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter anything like that. It's just I try and get ramped up for those big situations every single day. Okay, so there's the positive, right? You've won the game. You've saved the game. You get out there in the ninth, you chuck a pitch and you hear the noise and it goes back over your head and it leaves the park. How do you approach the next pitch when you've just been hit for a homer? Puffin and puffin with a count two and one on Aaron Judge. High fly ball. This ball is way out of here. One run down. Uh, so, like, everybody who's ever seen me pitch in person or anything like that knows that if I throw a bad pitch, I'm generally screaming and cussing at myself. So it's the same situation with those. Like, it's the same situation if I throw a bad pitch, he doesn't swing at it. If I give up that, I mean, I gave up 11 home runs last year, which is my career high other than being a starting pitcher. And so, like, that's a, that's a lot for a reliever because you look at it, my ERA is, it's, um, if I give up one run over nine innings, I have an ERA of one. Okay. So I gave, I gave up 11 home runs last year, which each one was a run. Plus there was a couple of times where some guys were on. So that was a significant little chunk of what I gave up last year. Yep. Uh, so it was very frustrating a lot, a lot of that time. But you, you look at it, you get pissed for a moment, and then you have to realize that, look, I still have a job to do because me giving up that homer may, may have tied the game, may have done absolutely nothing compared to the game. We still could be winning by a lot. We still could be losing by a lot. It, doesn't, it may not change anything. But I need to make sure that I don't let this snowball. If I go out there and get the next guy, I can at least walk off the field and and like only have that one little blip on my record where it's uh, if you let it snowball, which I used to do emotionally and physically, just let it kind of get all over me and then I wouldn't be able to make that next pitch. I'd still be mad at myself. And then all of a sudden it snowballs. You've given up three or four runs. And the three or four runs, those are the ones that kill a, a reliever season. You don't have enough innings to be able to get rid of that. So yeah. It's about just limiting as much damage as you can and going out there knowing that that was a blip. I'm going to get this guy now. It's a great answer. So in your 160-odd games and the, and the games you're playing, your 70 games, game finishes, you go back into the, the change rooms or whatever they're, they're called in American lexicon. Is there a debrief or is there that, so many games that it's like have a shower, get on the bus, get back to the hotel and get to sleep? Yeah, so it's, a cl- it's called a clubhouse. So it's a clubhouse. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty much you go inside and – for me, it's like I'll if I if I do well or if I do don't do well, I will throw the last pitch. I'll walk off the field. I'll sit in my locker, try and stop sweating one, and then once I do that, I'll try and then I'll jump in the shower and get changed and kind of go about my whatever we need to do. Whether it's drive back to my apartment in Chicago or whether it's get on a bus and go to the hotel or whether it's get on a bus and go to the plane, and that's um yeah it's it's I, I've. Cultivated a way for my body and, and mind to work in one where I do everything the same, no matter if it's a good outing, a bad outing, a terrible, whatever happens, because at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything one, after the no. fact. But I also, after every single game, I'll get back to either the hotel or my apartment and watch the game on, on the, like on the TV, just my innings, but like watch, watch what I did on the inning. And I usually also listen to it on both broadcasts. So it's like, I'll, if we're playing the Detroit Tigers, I'll listen to it on the White Sox broadcast, which has our broadcasters, and then I'll listen to it on the Detroit broadcast, which has their broadcasters. I started that a few years ago. I don't know. I can't remember why I actually started that, but I actually now it's just a habit that I listen to. And there's been a couple of times where I've picked up on some things that the visiting side have said that all of a sudden I'm like, huh, or they've shown on their little blip. And it's just some curious information that can uh, you can always just gain an edge from. Do you fly commercial? Uh, so we have a chartered team plane. So the team, uh, we're, we're on a generic like United uh, United Airlines fl- yep. plane, 
but it's just all our team with coaching staff and um, some of the analytics guys and stuff like that. And all the players are at the very back of the plane. So Okay. So now we get to the real stuff. We've been talking about Chicago, but to get to Chicago, there's a story, firstly, that your agent narrated a video describing what you had been doing closing games prior to you signing with the White Sox. Is that a true story or is that uh, urban myth? I don't know if they narrated it, but they definitely did a highlight reel and they it was more of a, uh, it wasn't quite a PowerPoint, but it was something along those lines where it's like, look, at the end of the day, I was going in, I was, no matter what happened, I was one of the top few relievers on the market. Yep. On the free agent market. So I was going in with that knowing, but they wanted to make sure that every team, so they went through it and every, any team that reached out, they gave them a booklet. And in that booklet, it had... Okay, this is what you guys did last year. This is what you guys would have done if you had Liam as your closer last year. And so, like, it was a team where there was a couple teams that was like, okay, you uh, you just missed out on the playoffs. With Liam, you would have made the playoffs. And that was one of the, like, the selling tactics. Like, look, this is what would have happened if you didn't have him. Or if you did have him. This is hmm. where your last year would have progressed. And it seemed to have worked out, right? Like, um, I love my agent because, one, he's just he's a very down-to-earth guy. He jokes about everything. And he's just a good human being. So we've taken your journey. We're sort of 10 years in here, getting cut, ending up playing for the Bisons, getting 1100 bucks a week. So people understand, this is a press release from Chicago on January 11th, 2021. Chicago, the Chicago White Sox have agreed to terms on a four-year, $54 million US contract with free agent Liam Hendricks, which includes a $1 million signing bonus. Under terms of the agreement, Hendricks, 31, will receive $11 million in 2021, $13 million in 2022, and $14 million in 2023, with the White Sox holding a $15 million option or buyout for 2024. If the club option is declined, the buyout will be paid in 10 equal installments between 2024 and 2033. Now, what you won't be aware of today, literally in the Herald Sun today, uh, in the Melbourne papers, it'll be in the West Oz as well, they've been going through the top 100 sports earners currently in Australian sport. Yesterday was 51 to 100. Congratulations, my man, because when you're applying for the Bisons on 1100 a month, you are <laughs> listed as the fifth highest earning Australian athlete currently. To me, it's congratulations because we've seen what you've been through. That is the market rate. What is it like, mate, when you sign a deal? And, and this is guaranteed, yeah? Completely guaranteed. It's the way baseball works. It's completely guaranteed. But, yeah, this is um, – look, I went from being – I got delisted in 2018 and cleared. And so then I went to AAA with the A's. And legitimately, if I didn't get called back up that year, I didn't know what my career held. This is another moment where it was like, look, I'm – I'm three weeks away from possibly being out of baseball or possibly being overseas in like Korea or Japan or something like that. I have no idea what my next stage is going to be. That's 2018. That's 2018. And I was in AAA. I ended up getting called back up. And that's when I stopped, I kind of stopped working out, stopped running and just really focused on just throwing and building kind of that kind of mentality. And it paid off dividends, obviously. it. Uh, I went from being in AAA in 2018 to then being... In 2019, starting off as the, the middle of reliever and then who was just in, like, if we're up by a lot or down by a lot, that was my role. That was where I was pitching. 
to then in the middle of the year taking over the closers role as being the highest leverage pitcher in that bullpen. Yeah. So I went from being the lowest leverage to the highest leverage in about three months. And that was all because of me being DFA'd in 2018. There wasn't a time where 2018 was, it was, it was, it was, it almost killed me. Like it was just that, that big of a thing. Look, it was, I still remember I, I, I pitched in the, I pitched actually against the White Sox the day before. I gave up four runs and we flew to Detroit and I didn't sleep at all that night. I'm just in the Detroit hotel. I'm, just had the TV on. I just couldn't sleep. Like I'm wide awake the entire day. I get to the field the next day, got told I was delisted, DFA'd. And I kind of expected it because it was just that, that way it was going. Um, and jumped on a plane back to Oakland to clear out my locker, my apartment and everything like that. And then flew back to Florida to kind of wait and see and hope if I got picked up. Didn't get picked up. They told me, hey, look, you're going to go to Nashville, which is where our AAA team is. Right at the year, um, and we'll see what happens. And so I went down there. I completely changed my mind. I actually got very, very lucky. Chrissy, my wife, had reached out to a tarot card reader. Her name's Ruby. A tarot card reader. Tarot card reader. Reached out to Ruby's readings. We got a couple readings from her, and it was a lot of like, why is this? Why is there so many? Why is there such a negative light around you? Like it was always. Whenever you, I was expecting things, and if that thing didn't happen, I spiraled. Or I've, like I never, I expected the things like in a best case scenario. And if it didn't happen, I spiraled. And it was just one of those things where I, I was constantly just beating myself over the head with this need to fill expectations where after talking with her, it just clicked in the fact of why do I need to expect anything? Huh. Why do I need to go out there and be like, oh, well, this is meant to be hit. This is meant to be me right now. Why is it somebody else? Instead, I went down, I, I was there and it was all about, if it happens, it happens. Very much back to the Australian motto of like, yeah, if it is, it, it'll be what it will be. And that's uh, that's kind of the mentality I took. And that completely changed the trajectory of my career. And as you said, with the contract, it uh, it technically goes down as a three by 54, three year 54 million because of the option, because they only count the guaranteed years and the guaranteed money. Yeah. Which means that that actually went down. I didn't realize at the time, but it went down as the highest average annual value for a reliever in major league history which is wild to me because I was two years before, two years prior being out of the game, like very, very close to being out of the game. And then to turn it around like that, it's, uh, you don't do that without the support of everybody around you, between my wife, between Ruby, between my parents, between everybody that I've ever spoken to in the game that was willing to listen and the journeys that I've been through, the coaching stuff. And it's, you go back to the coaches that you had when you were juniors. It's like you, the coaches then, you, it's this journey that's a, it's a character building journey. Like I, I had to be brought back down to earth in my own head to be able to get to where I'm at now. And that's something that I will never, ever take for granted. The, like the power of the mind, if you've described it, it, it it's incredible. Do you still see Ruby? tarot card reader or not? Oh, yeah. I actually got an email from her today about uh, my February reading. So it's uh, I still right. see her. She was actually at our house for New Year's uh, for New Year's this year. We're trying to get her out to Australia for New Year's next year. We're trying to do uh, the Sydney Harbour, like the fireworks for, for New Year's next year. Hopefully we can get in and do it that way. Uh, but, yeah, we, we are in regular contact. Um, she does my monthly readings. We fly her out. To, we've got her out to Chicago a couple of times during the course of the year. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's something that I have – to fully invested into and it's uh 
it's wild just that change of perception that's able to kind of drastically change the trajectory of anybody's life and career and everything. Well, as I said, it shows the power of the mind. So without being crassly, the discussion we've had, what is it like when you walk into an office and sign a contract, let alone the responsibility and the perceived pressure that comes with it, but what is it when you walk into an office and sign a $54 million US contract? Well, what is that like? We were going back and forth and it was a lot of like you had your initial, because obviously this is all in the off season of 2020 to 2021 and yep. it's, uh, we weren't like in the usual, in the usual like year, you'd be flying to these cities and you'd be meeting them face to face. You'd be able to put your two cents worth. They'd be able to see what sort of character you have and all this. Uh, that year, unfortunately, we did it all over Zoom. So we were trying to do everything we could. So it was all over Zoom. So we'd done Zooms with a few, with several teams. Then, as you see, the the offers start coming in a little bit, and then it's the bargaining. This is where your agent makes his money. This is where they go back and forth and back and forth and all this sort of stuff. So we'd been going back and forth. We had a we had this number in our heads from the get go. Like it wasn't going to be greedy. It was uh, we we're just hoping to get that fourth year guarantee, which we. Weren't technically able to do, but we got the dollars guaranteed, so it's good enough. But that was our entire thing. And we finally were at a point where this is what we want. This is the number we want. And we ended up getting it. And I just remember that, that moment when we got that call, it was just, it was insane. Like the, uh, I don't think I cried, but I was very, very close to it. It was just like the culmination of the entire efforts of my wife and I. We'd gone through whether it be struggling with finances because we just we weren't exactly smart at the, the onset. The uh, the struggle professionally in the career, the struggle with just being around and not being around each other as much as we wanted to. It's uh, there was a lot that went to, and it was just it was uh, it was a very exciting time, but it was a very emotional time at the same point because it was just everything that we'd worked the entire time before had brought us to this point. And you don't trade anything. You you take the ups, you take the downs as well, and it's uh, it's something that we everything we've been through led to that point. It was, it was an ecstatic experience. Then we ended up flying to Chicago like a couple of days later and it was snowing. We ended up taking some photos on the field with the snow in the background and all this sort of stuff. And I've never been, well, we went to the hotel that we we're checking into and the, like the, uh, the bellmen were just like coming up and saying, like, we're so excited. We're so happy you're here. We're doing all this. And it was just, it was so, it was such a surreal experience going out to go there and, and do something like that. We're doing a Zoom thing with the uh, the media there, but it was such a surreal experience being able to go through all that. And I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 come full circle from where we came, where we started, and start my debut against the White Sox, where we are now. It's it's, it's been something special. More of Liam shortly. One of the most popular episodes in the show's history features another Aussie who had a crack at the US sporting market, Benny Graham. From AFL footballer to NFL punter, Ben is the first Aussie to play in a Super Bowl. It was quite the ride to get there. I got a phone call saying that there's some NFL scouts coming to town. They're meeting with the AFL executives. They're coming to a game. Um, They want to explore a few of the Australian athletes if they've got the potential to come over and make it in the States and they'd like to have a chat to you. So we organised a catch-up out at Leopold uh, where we had a punt. They Leopold? Leopold football ground. <laughs> These boys have come from America and you've taken them to Leopold. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, So, but this was, um, and I haven't told this story a lot, 
because at the time, it, I mean, it was all hush hush. No one, no one knew about it. We were preparing to play Collingwood at the G on the next weekend. So this was a Wednesday. So I've turned up, and here they are. There's an entourage. They've got cameras set up on the little grandstand. They've got the grounds being painted. There's cones everywhere. There's guys with stopwatches and clipboards. And <laughs> anyway, as it, as it goes, I was hitting a few decent balls, and then you know. I started to say, well, you know, we hold it a bit different and, you know, I take an extra step and, you know, because they were expecting a robotic punter, what they've been used to, and I had no idea. I just was getting it and kicking it. And so they said, relax a little bit and said, all right, will you start doing things your way? You you hold your... And I started roosting them. What type of foot are you using? Uh, an American ball, right. an NFL ball. I hadn't kicked one before, really. Right. And I started to to really launch into them. And I could sort of see they were getting a bit excited, but the rain was starting to come in. And so we all rushed off underneath the grandstands. And at the time, it was Eric Mangini who was the quality control defensive coach at the Jets. While we're under there, he he said, look, I think we think we've got some good potential here and we'd like to offer you a three-year deal. There? There and then. Under the grandstand at Leopold? Yeah. No. In 1997. So... What was your initial thought when you heard that? Well, it was three years, half a million dollars a year, you know. <laughs> like it was, holy, this is, I can't believe this. Alrighty, let's get back to Liam. Is there, uh, I don't know if this is the, the right word, I know you're a pretty socially aware character, as is your wife. Um is there a responsibility that comes with that money? How do you ensure, like we hear so many stories about American athletes, which is the opposite of what you're doing, that get paid all this money and then when they retire they don't have the money. How do you approach an enormous amount of wealth coming your way in a, in in what's been a long journey but a short period of time? Yeah, so we've ha- we have followed uh, a lot of charitable causes throughout yes. our entire careers and that was uh, – We've been on the board for an hour, Pitbull Rescue in Chicago, actually in Chicago for, since 2014. So we've been on the board of that. Uh, we've been in regular contact with the Humane Societies with uh, Tony LaRusso, who's now my manager, his Animal Rescue Foundation in the Bay Area. Um, we've done things with cyberbullying. We've, we, we focus everything along our passions, and that's cyberbullying, animals, um, uh, LGBTQ, it's like oh, there's a lot of different avenues that we take a lot of things and we've always been, the more you give, the more you get. Like, so I've always been, and like obviously tipping in a restaurant here, it's something that is is commonplace, but I've always been an over-tipper just because I feel like it, it's something like it, it's it's going to mean a lot more to people. It's just you you do what you can, but I don't like the fact that some of the athletes, the way they do it, they, they've been given this platform and they don't use it to try and change things. They don't use it for a good cause. They don't use yep. it to make a difference. And that's something that uh, my wife and I have vowed never to do. We go out there, we're, we're actually flying to Chicago uh, shortly to go to a gala for a Howard Brown, the hospital, which uh, deals with LGBTQ youths coming out and going through that process. And it's, uh, it's something that we believe a lot in is making sure that we go out there and make as big of a difference as we can, as big of an impact. It's, uh, in Chicago, we started the South Slider Society, which is, um, I, it's called the South, the Slider, because that's what one of the guys I played with in the past called me because of the way I pronounce Slider because of Australian. Uh, so we did that. We've started that in Chicago where it's, we donated, we not only used local restaurants, but we donated towards front, uh, first line responders. So it's 
police, EMTs, fire, medical, ERs, hospitals. We we made sure to go out there and, and just feed the front lines. And that was something that we were passionate about going through everything with COVID and how much work they've done over the course of this 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 pandemic. It's uh we want to make sure that they we always let them know that they they are greatly appreciated and uh there's a lot of people out there that are thinking of what they need to do. It's we donated um, ma- uh, uh, hats and scarves and and gloves and hoodies and stuff like this to uh, to certain hospitals around so they can dish them out. So that making sure that during the, the Chicago winters that people are taken care of. I read a lot about you and your wife, and that's why I brought up the social responsibility. You've answered it beautifully. The thing that caught my ear that you said it then and caught my eye when I read it about it was the approach you're trying to get involved with cyberbullying. We're, we're really lucky in this show, Liam, that we have a lot of kids listen to this show, which we're blessed. A lot of kids listen with their parents. Um and my kids are 10 and 12. We sort of try and keep them away from the digital world as much as we can, but it is coming. It's an immovable force. It, mm. it has to come. What have you learned about cyberbullying and what are you trying to do to raise the awareness of it? Because it is such a big issue for everybody. Like, mate, oh, you know, I go to work, I come home, I've commentated a game of footy or a game of cricket and you will get messages that you read them and think, how could you send that to me? Uh, you know, I'm a very small fish, but but I, I'm an adult man, I can deal with it. Ch- children can't deal with it. What have you learnt, mate? Uh, that the internet is uh, a place of great beauty but also a place of great toxicity. Yeah. Um, it's... I've dealt with, I, I was very lucky. Like I, I was bullied in school. Uh, my wife was bullied in school. This is something that we both went through. It just transpired and started bullying after certain things have transpired. But we've had death threats. We've had certain things come on. Like I could be the best pitcher in the world, but I'll still get those comments. And it's, it's very hard. Um, but the biggest thing is, is like you need to know your internal worth. And it doesn't, like once you start figuring out, like, look, you need to be able to look at the positives on everything. You need to be a glass half full guy because if you're not, you can read those and just go spiraling down. And it's um, that's a whole part of that whole mindset change. It's it's looking at everything with that optimistic view. It's uh, you look at it and be like, oh well, there's a silver lining in absolutely everything. Whether you've had a bad day, whether you've had a good day, it's just that's one thing that we have tried to cultivate is making sure that everything we do is a positive. Everything we do is positive in the world and and making sure whether it should be a smile on the side of the street to a person who cut you off or whatever it is like certain things where it's just yeah. certainly you just try and brighten somebody's day but um yeah it's the internet it, it's a it's a horrible place but if you have the right mindset things will be able to bounce off a little bit better but um it's it's definitely a hard place to be and the one thing i've always said is like it's okay i've been to therapy i'm not i'm not like uh, like uh, I'm not trying to hide anything like that. I've been to sports psychologists. I've been to all these things. It's something that I think is drastically underappreciated. And the more, especially in the male population, where they think it's unmanly or it makes me look weak or anything like mm. that, it's it's a complete. It's it's false. It doesn't matter. Who who cares? Like I I have more respect for a lot of people that go see therapists than anything else because they've taken their responsibility on themselves to show their weakness, to show everybody how it is, and make a change in their life that's gonna that's gonna. <laughs> hopefully turn their thoughts the right way around and be able to get back in society and be that positive ray of force that hopefully is able to spiderweb it out so that at some point we have no issues with anything going on because of the way we look at the world. I love the way you can enunciate your message and the message you're spreading. I reckon for me one of the most unique and amazing and wonderful things I saw in sport in 20. 
21 was the Field of Dreams game. You were blessed to play in that. So I'll play some audio here, but obviously people that have seen the movie, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, the Field of Corn. Tell me about it, the experience, the day, you know, that opener where Costner's walking out through the field, the, the corn into the field, and you guys follow him. That's bloody spine tingly. What what was the what a, like? What a unique experience for a bloke from bloody Perth. Good afternoon. Thirty years ago, on the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time. Tonight, thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. We're on a field that Major League Baseball made. We've come to see the first place White Sox play the mighty Yankees in a field that was once corn. We've kept our promise. Major League Baseball has kept its promise. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. Is this heaven? Yes, it is. Yeah, that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever been around. Um, being a part of that entire day, the entire event, it was such a surreal experience. I got a, I've got a signed baseball by Kevin Costner at the house. Oh, wow. Um, so it was like, there was a lot that went into it. If you could take away the experience of the entirety of the thing and just take away my performance in the game, it would be one of the most memorable games I've ever been a part of. Unfortunately, I pitched that game, didn't do well, had to have a pretty much a fairy tale uh, ending for the White Sox in that game with Tim Anderson hitting a walk-off home run, so that, uh, that took me out of the hook a little bit. Anderson hits it in the end right, back at the wall, and the White Sox win it! But yeah, it was, uh, that was a surreal experience between walking through the, the maze, taking photos with some of the other guys, being able to kind of be in that part of thing. It was... It was a very, very cool experience. The MLB did a very good job with it. Um, the people who, like the grounds crew, did a fantastic job in creating that field. I actually got a chance to walk through the house that's in the movie. There were some White Sox fans staying there. It was, it was one of the cooler experiences you'll ever experience on a baseball field, and that was something that I'll, uh, I'll never forget, and hopefully I get a chance to go there and uh, do it again and hopefully redeem my on-field play that day. So the, the, the privilege of the game you play, you mentioned it there, like, yeah, I've been lucky enough to go to some baseball games. I mean, you know, there's that those those stories about you know the, the fresh cut grass, and you see them wiping um, the bases and clean, and then you know there's people having their hot dogs, and there's the 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 inning stretch and the take me out to the ballpark. And what what is it like, mate, being involved in that day in day out as part of you know, America has football and America has basketball and America has hockey, but it's always written about romantically that baseball is the lifeblood of America. What's it like being part of that? Do you feel that? Do you see that? Or has it become such a business that that's a romanticised idea that I'm coming up with? No, I get to play a game for a living. That's what it comes down to. I get to play a game for a living. I get to go out there and enjoy myself because the way we have this, like talking right now is the way we sit in the bullpen and talk for nine innings a game. Right. We have this, like, it's a brotherhood out there. We we sit out there, we talk, we go, like, if guys are running issues, we go through that. If guys are having fun, like, we just, we have a good time out there. We rib on each other a lot, but also we're there no matter what, if anyone needs us. And that's something that uh, 
I like to call the bullpen the janitors of the league because we come in and clean up everybody else's stuff. <laughs> so it's um, but I don't. I still don't think there's anything better than looking out on a freshly cut like baseball field that has like the entire the the dirt is pristine, the bases are pure white, the grass is cut into like these fancy lines and everything like that. I mean, it's like picture looking out and uh, the Aussie Rules Grand Final on that field where it's got the the freshly painted kind of like logos all yeah. over it. It's like there's, there's something just very, very special about walking out onto those fields and seeing those fields. And it's something that uh, I, I don't take for granted any single day that I'm at the field because I love what I do. I absolutely freaking love everything I do at that game. And I, I'll, I'll never take it for granted because I know that, like I, I realized how close I was to being out of it. I realized how many people would give their give their left arm to be a part of having that for a day. And that's something that I... Uh, will never take for granted because it's something that uh, that I that I love doing and I can't believe like a lot of the time where I wake up and get a chance to do that. There's certain days are a little bit longer than others. Don't get me wrong, but I mean at the end of the day, you go. I go to the field and I I just sit around and I talk to guys. And there's guys worth a lot more money than me. There's guys worth not not as much money as me. But there's we're all in this together about trying to prove, trying to come together and win a ring. And that's what it's all about. Is that camaraderie about going to a certain goal together as a group, and that's uh, that's something that you can't really replace. And you play for the Chicago White Sox, like you know that, that's a storied team in American sporting history. You talk about the ring last year finished top of the table in in your league. I'm getting the terms wrong here. Top um, of the AL Central, so we yep. are, we we won our division. So there's the National League and the American League, and then yep. each one there's the West, the Central, and the East. So we won the American League Central, and uh, yeah, it's the it's the first time in White Sox history that they've been to the playoffs in back to back years, which is incredible because of how big of an organization that is, how long it's been around. But uh, yeah, it's something gets it's it's a pretty cool team to be a part of because as I said we we yell at each other the entire time. Me and a couple of guys yell at each other at the time. Me and Tim Anderson, I think we <laughs> aggravate a lot of people around us because all we do is just wear each other out. And it's something that you don't get on all these teams. Like a lot of the teams you've been in, you can't, you don't have that guy. You don't have that group where the A's and the White Sox and the, the Blue Jays, when I've been there, have been that way. We just, it's a fun team to go to. You, you actually look forward to going to the field because you just have a good time. And that's that you, when you go to the field having a good time, your play automatically gets better. It's just it's just part and parcel of the way it goes. You don't see dysfunctional teams playing good football or good cricket or anything like that. No. You see the teams that laugh and joke and everything like that. They're the ones that end up winning, and that's something that's uh, that the White Sox have in spades. Um, as you say, the team's on an upward trajectory. There's a time where you're playing for your for your future to pay your mortgage. That's beyond you now. The money is in the bank. So now, I presume in your world, it's about team success. Can you can you picture? And there's so many changes as, you, as we've heard in the roster day in day out, year in year out. Can you picture the White Sox and you winning a World Series? Like how <laughs> that's that's a pretty big deal at that point, isn't it, mate? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, the money is what it is. You don't play the game for low money. I play the I play the game to win. Like the, the everything else sets, settles itself out. Um, I was playing this game before I had a dollar in the bank. I was I'll be playing the game probably after I retire from Major League Baseball, hoping to make it to the Olympics in 2032 in Brisbane. And um, just like I I wouldn't have signed with the White Sox if I didn't envision us being able to win. That was the reason I think the White Sox was so high on my list before it. Um, to the point where my wife actually called my agent without me around and be like, look whatever happens, like he wants to go to Chicago because he can foresee winning. And that was something that 
like we've got the core group and it's it's not as if like in American sports, you get guys in and out, different teams on this year, different team on that year. The core group of our guys are, are all back for the next few years. And that was something that was really important to me is you don't have this huge turnover and you constantly having to hope this guy lives up to what he's been able to do. It's no, this is what we've got. This is what's going to happen now. And uh, we've got the guys there that I think we can definitely make, make a run with. And, and every year that, like we don't win it is a, is a disappointment, is a disappointing season. Um, last question for you, mate. You've brought up various life lessons throughout. I mentioned earlier on we're lucky a lot of kids listen to this podcast. Geez, you've had your ups and downs. You've dealt with a lot. You've stuck with it. For all the youngsters out there listening that want to achieve some success in their chosen field, doesn't want to, matter what that field be in sports, the arts, science, what advice would you give them that you've learned on your incredible journey to this point, Liam? Uh, have fun with it. The biggest thing is just have fun and, and diversify. Like I, I can't tell you how many, especially in America, how many athletes are all one sport athletes. They okay, we're playing baseball. And that's all they play their entire youth. No, diversify. Go play basketball. Go play football. Go play tennis. Go play something else because at the end of the day, that builds that mu- those different muscle groups. The same way with like anything to do with the arts or anything like that. You cannot focus singularly on one thing because you'll fizzle out. You'll get tired of it. You'll get sick of it. Just, as I said, diversify, enjoy everything and, and and always, no matter what, there's a silver lining on absolutely everything. Whether it be it's the worst day of your life or whether it be the best day of your life, there's always something positive to look from. And if you can take the positives from the bad times, nothing will ever affect you because you're actually gaining that and looking at it from a different point of view and, and realizing that, look, it. This isn't that bad because of this. This is the. This is now. I, this is now what I gravitate towards. This is what I can use, and this is what's going to get me through the next day. Mate, I, as I said at the start, I think we've been trying to tee this up for a year and a half, and I had so many questions. I'm sorry for the ignorant ones, but you've blown my mind about the world of professional baseball. And full credit to you, mate, for sticking at it and achieving so much success. I hopefully it ends up in a World Series for you, but whatever happens, you've carved out a remarkable, unique niche and may you have many more successes along the way, mate, and continue to put back in the community like you are. It's been a real thrill for me. Thanks for having a chat with me on the Howie Games, mate. You're a star. Oh, I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me and thanks for helping kind of gain the awareness of baseball in Australia because that's something that uh, every single every single baseballer from Australia comes out and that's that's their goal. It doesn't look at, it's not that personal wealth or personal success or anything like that. You want to gain the, you want to move that game forward in Australia. And we've got, uh, we've got a good group of kids coming over. We've got some guys in the minor leagues now that are looking at making the jump, hopefully. Um, we've got some guys that are over there as, and the juniors that are meant to be something special coming up as well. So we're excited for this, uh, the new generation of baseball. And, and as I said, I'm just hoping to, uh, at some point, um, hopefully once I'm a little bit past my prime over here, being able to play, uh, playing the Olympics for Team Australia because that's that's always the goal of any Australian athlete is always to play in the Olympics. And that's the one thing I haven't been able to knock off the bucket list just yet. But 2032 in Brisbane, give me uh, give me 10 years to stay in shape. <laughs> Can't wait. And I'm uh, jumping straight on whitesocks.com and ordering a hat right now. I'm right on the White Sox, mate. <laughs> stay safe. Thanks, Liam. All right. Appreciate it, mate. What about that for a story, hey? And wonderfully well told by Liam. What a beauty he is. Surely you now have to be on the White Sox when the MLB season gets going. Thanks to Liam for coming on. To the king of Western Australia and Channel 10 News guru, Lockie Reed for putting me on to Liam. Thanks, Lockie. To our very own wild thing, Das, for getting it done as always. And to you good people for tuning in. Until next Thursday with jockey Jamie Carr. You know the rest. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try.
If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener.